0: That well, we'll have to imagine. But I'm pretty excited about the year of biblical literacy that we're in as a church. When I say if you don't know me, that's excited. <laughs> you know, it's, that's what excited is. But I am. I'm excited about the prospect of getting more involved with God through a better knowledge, understanding. And importantly, living out or trying to live out his word. And I hope and pray more of us want to do that as well. Uh, And that really is my purpose for speaking this morning, is to encourage more of us to get a little bit more serious or into God's word for the purpose of being able to live it out, not just for the knowledge. Last week, uh, Paul uh, looked at the origins of the Bible which I'm not going to recap here. If you weren't here, have a listen to it via the website. And this week, we are considering the meaning of the Bible. So pray with us, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and pray that this morning uh, you would speak through me to encourage and challenge us uh, to dig into your word, Lord, uh, to know more of you, and enable us to love others more, just as you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of you might know that uh, my wife Anne and I belong to an organization called the Gideons. Anybody know what the Gideons do? A little bit of audience participation. Yeah, good, good little intro. Why I joined the Gideons, I was badgered for many years and all of a sudden oh, I'm too busy with work and then didn't have an excuse and ended up joining them. And the thing that appealed to me was it's about, we are about getting Bibles into the hands of people who otherwise might not have access to it or might not get one. So think of anywhere that people are, we try to get Bibles in there. Our big places still, schools, anybody get one as a youngster in school? Yeah, some. Somebody after the service, the earlier service said, I've still got mine, Ken. I'd love to say I've still got mine, but I haven't. Don't don't know what happened to it. So schools, colleges, here at uh, University of Northampton, we get invited to Freshers' Fair, Moulton College, we do that. We do hotels, we've got a guy who does an amazing job at Northampton General in trying to keep Bibles in the lockers there and so on. This last 12 months, thereabouts, we handed out in our branch, which really covers just Northampton, about 3,500 testaments. And then earlier this year when Steve spoke and opened up this series on the Year of Biblical Literacy, he put out some statistics. I don't know, not everybody would have been at that one, but statistics about our reading of God's Word, our reading of the Bible. So a little bit of audience participation again. Who here has a Bible? Hands up. Either on a phone or a hard copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep your hands up. Didn't say put them down. <laughs> if you read it once a month, leave or more than once a month, leave your hand up. If you read it once a week, you read it daily. And I can't remember Steve's figures, but it was research done amongst Christians, and maybe... We were surprised, or maybe we shouldn't have been surprised, but not many Christians regularly delve into God's word. You know, lots have Bibles, but it got me thinking about the work of Gideon's, because it's great that we've handed out three and a half thousand, but what happens with them? But I shouldn't have been surprised. Pete, my son Pete, I don't think is around at the moment, but when I joined and he said, what are you joining them for? I said, what do you mean? He said, Dad, when they came to my school, you know where all the Bibles ended up, don't you? I said, no, on the gymnasium roof. I said, oh, Peter, I hope yours, no, mine didn't go up there, whether it did or not, but he didn't dare say it had. <laughs> so it's one thing to have the Bible, it's one thing to hand them out, but our prayer is Gideon's and as followers of Jesus should be in his, that people would uh, read them. So why do loads of people who are given a Bible not read them? Why do followers of Jesus, like us, not read them as much as maybe we should, could? And I think part of the answer to that question rests with this week's subject, the meaning of the Bible. We're going to have a look at what do we think the meaning, what's behind this book called the Bible? And why might we... Why mate, we struggle with it? Does your and then does your Bible gather dust get read? More importantly, if it does get read, does it get applied to your life? I'm going to jump into God's word in Luke chapter twenty four, reading from verse thirteen. Familiar story two followers after the resurrect sorry, after the death of Jesus, they're on the road to Emmaus. And we read this. Their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth? They replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And that encounter changed their lives because they turned around from where they were going and went back to share with some of the other followers of Jesus what had happened. So the two travelers on the road to Emmaus did not have the benefit as the, of the Bible as we have it. They would have known the Torah, Genesis to Deuteronomy, and maybe some of the prophets. What, we, what they would have known is that a Messiah had been promised who would rescue them from their enemies. And their enemies at that time would be, most likely, the Romans. They thought the Messiah had come, but when their religious leaders had killed him, then they maybe thought or heard Jesus' promise that he would rise from the dead and return. They hadn't seen him yet. Weird things had happened. They were probably confused, disappointed, feeling let down, even conned by this guy Jesus and what he'd said so how would they understood the meaning of God's word at that point in their journey maybe they were hanging on to the prophecies that heard from Isaiah Isaiah 9 verse 6 says wonderful counsellor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his governing there will be no end and yet he disappointed them He hadn't gone storming into Jerusalem on a horse and forced the Romans out. They might also have struggled to reconcile the prophecy later on in Isaiah. He was despised and rejected by men, pierced for our transgressions. Now I can understand, I think, why they were probably confused and perplexed at that point, as I think I do what they did with God's word on occasions. Any of us, or any of you like me, who on occasions, when you've maybe called out and said, God, I'd love you to talk to us, I'd love you to speak to us, and you've picked up a Bible, only to find that it's fallen open at Numbers chapter 1 verse 24, for those who are following the year of biblical literacy will know that that says talks about the descendants of Gad and how many there were. And it's like, come on, God, you're having a laugh. I wanted a... So I'm not saying that doing that won't work. It might, on occasions, if we are going to adopt that, let's have a look at what God's saying to us today. We need to do it with a big dose of wisdom. And just as an aside... In the front of any Bible that the Gideons hand out, there's a series of pages called Helps, where depending on how you're feeling, whether you know, you're know feeling down, whether you're struggling with things, there are some prompts, more useful maybe than just letting your Bible fall open, which point you to parts of uh, the scriptures uh, to give you a hand. Just a little advert, uh, I'm nearly excited, we've just... Just received some testaments. We also try to get into the services, fire service, and this one's a badge testament for Northamptonshire Police. So I'm hoping that there'll be loads of police officers and police staff will want one of these, but more importantly, will want, once they've got it, to dive in and open it a little bit as well. So that's a little and last plug for the Gideons. So the Bible is God's story written by those he chose or commanded to write it or revealed it to them through his spirit. And we should read and understand it, not as 66 distinct books, but as part of God's big story. Well, you will have heard Steve and others, other speakers talk about the meta-narrative of God, the big story of God. It's God's story. If we don't, we're like the travellers on the road to Emmaus, just reading a small part of the whole story, seeing a bit of the picture. And when you ask about, well, what was their understanding of it at that point in time, they were probably thinking, what on earth's going on here? As we sometimes are when we open the Bible and just look at isolated little bits. So the first point on the meaning of the Bible is it's God's whole story. Next point I want us to consider is how do we read the Bible? Well, we've already seen some of us don't read the Bible as much as we would want to, might want to, or perhaps even don't read the Bible at all. As Christians, we often say the Bible is God's word, the spirit-breathed word of God, the divine word, a guide for life, the infallible word of God. And interestingly, all of those phrases are seated in the scriptures somewhere. So the Bible says things about itself, you know, to verify what it is. And if that's what it is, do you take the Bible literally or not? Pause just to let, let you think on that one. If you do take it literally, as in, I believe the Bible just as it is written, then there can be some let's say ambiguities. Week before last with Yobel, yeah of biblical literacy, we were into Leviticus, and in that book we read about certain foods that the Israelites were forbidden from eating as they made them unclean. So who of us today likes and eats bacon? Yep. Aha. Uh-huh. So literally, the Bible, God's word says, you unclean people shouldn't eat bacon. Leviticus tells us that. Shouldn't eat the meat from pigs in whatever form. Because if you do, you're not going to be able to go into God's presence or near God's presence if you eat bacon. And then one of two of you are quick to say, Aha, but Ken, what about Acts chapter 10 when Peter has a vision? And into a sheet fall all kinds of four legged animals, reptiles and birds. And God said to Peter, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, replied Peter. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And then the voice spoke to him a second time. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. So, woohoo! We can eat bacon. But what should we do? Should we eat bacon? Or should we not eat bacon? Depends how you take the Bible. Literally. Well, the good news is, if you're following Yobble, you've only got to wait till November (laughs) before you can eat bacon, because that's when we get into Acts, if you follow it, because it's a Bible in a year. Seriously, it just highlights a pitfall of us taking the Bible literally when it was not always written that way, and not having any regard for where we are in the big story of God. So in Leviticus, just to clarify my understanding, what I really believe the Bible's telling us about on the subject of bacon, we're in that part of God's story where God wants to be able to fulfill his promises to his chosen people with the covenant that he makes with them. And on their part, they vowed to separate themselves from evil people around them and their culture and habits through the laws given to Moses, which included what you can and can't eat. And then back to the big story, some 1,480 years roughly later, we see the rules on what food to eat or not eat are a stumbling block to take in the gospel to all nations, the Gentiles. And God reveals to Peter in his vision that fact. Peter If you're going to take my word, if you're going to take the good news to all of the people, then anything that I've created shouldn't be regarded as impure. Another example would be circumcision, which was required from the time of Abraham, but not New Testament times. And thank God, say some of us today that that's the case. So are we saying we shouldn't take the Bible literally? And if we do that, then we fall into the trap of believing the bits that suit us and ignoring or explaining away the bits that don't fit with my particular issue or thing that I'm struggling with at the moment. Which all leads us to, even for Christians, oh, can this is all too complicated? Which bit do I, under, you know, which bit do I? Accept? Oh, I'll just leave it on the shelf. And let it gather dust. Oh, don't think phones gather dust, do they? But you know what I I mean. So what are we to do? We should be guided by what the Bible is. And the Bible is both literal and literary. Literal and literary. Literal in that it recounts real events in history, real people in history, a real God in history, and God's story. The gospel writers, although using different styles, give witness often firsthand of Jesus' life and ministry. Think of the prophets. Through them, God foretells events that have happened and are yet to happen. Some examples might include the four prophecies that talked about or prophesied, the exile of the Israelites to Babylon and their return to uh, Jerusalem, which happened, which were real events in history, or around the fourteen prophecies predicting the coming death and resurrection of of jesus and i don 't know about you Christmas time I think it was this last Christmas the realization you know that however many years previous and a lot of years previous in Isaiah prophesied things that happened. With the coming of Jesus, and as we approach Easter, again prophesy things that actually happened to him. You know, to me, that's amazing in terms of pieces of evidence about God's big story. Literary, in that it is God's story told through or by over. How many authors do you think we have in the Bible? Game time. Twenty? Twenty-one. <laughs> Earlier service, Steve banned everybody from using the phones because it was messing up with the recording. But, and I said, you can't Google it, but if you Googled it, you would come up with somewhere around just over 40 different authors for the 66 books. Somebody else has worked out that 44% of the Bible text is narrative or story? 33% is poetry, 23% is teaching. I'm sure if you went with a different template, you'd end up with X percent of uh, apocalypse writing and all sorts of things. And then we have this, some of these same events being recorded and recounted by different authors, like Chronicles and Kings. If ever you've looked at those. And you read in Bible in a year, you think, I can quickly skip loads of Chronicles because it's repeated in Kings. Some of you know that I used to be a police officer. When I joined the force, if there was an incident resulting in someone ending up before the court and more than one officer or members of the public were involved, it was generally best if their statements contained similar evidence. Do you get that? (laughs) Yeah. And believe it or not, we were trained in statement-taken to do that, and there wasn't a great deal of scope for prose or poetry in statement-taken. So that's why, in ancient police history, you had phrases like, I was proceeding along Corporation Street in a northerly direction, Your Honour, instead of, I was walking along the street. Or, the defendant's breath smelled strongly of alcoholic liquor, when really what you meant was, he was drunk. And then when you got to court, solicitors and barristers would have the easy task of ripping ripping you to shreds, because they would say, aha, you've got together with the other witnesses, and are saying the same thing. Couldn't have possibly happened. How can you say the same thing as? So quick on the uptake, the police changed our training, And it was acknowledged, well, three different people watching the same event see it from different perspectives, so our statements sometimes were a little bit different. And guess what happened at court? Uh Uh-huh. The barristers and solicitors would say, you couldn't possibly be watching the same incident. My client didn't do X, because you can't even agree on what you saw. And where does that leave... Any of us. So in the same way, or similar way, when we read the Bible, we need to be at least aware of some of this stuff that's going on. The literal, the literary, the different uh, perspectives that the writers and authors would have on it. And again, remember that it's part of big story. And here's another writer. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 says this. Now we see but a poor reflection in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now to put that another way, I can read a passage of the Bible over and over and read a well-known part of the Bible, Bible, uh, like the Easter story, and still learn something new from God's word. Because God, through his Spirit, reveals things to us in his time and for our benefit you get that that i'm a slow learner and i'm sure there have been times where god hasn't revealed the meaning of a passage of the bible because i've really not been ready to understand or apply it So consider the story from today's reading. Two believers are traveling on the road when Jesus came along and joined them. At verse 16 we read, but they were kept from recognizing him. Why was that? Imagine if Jesus had waltzed along and exclaimed, ta-da, I'm Jesus. What would the two travelers have done or thought or said? Uh, You having a laugh? You're kidding? You must be joking. We've just come from Jerusalem and, you know, what on earth's going on? So they weren't ready at that point. And my guess uh, is that they would have doubted him at best for who he was. Instead, Jesus, what did he do? He listened to them, heard what their experience had been. Their understanding of what had taken place and their disappointment and confusion. Then Jesus brings them into the big story. At verse 25, he said to them, "How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken." And then he gave them a master class in God's story, he literally drags them onto the stage, drags them into the story. Have you not got it yet? All that Jesus said to you was true. It was not a story. It was real. And Jesus shared, stayed and shared a meal with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. It was then, and only then, that they realized who he was. Right on center stage, in the story, with Jesus. And what did they do? About turn back to Jerusalem to share their good news with uh, others there and I for one in the 21st century am helped through that story and there being part of it by accepting or coming to the conclusion that Jesus is my risen saviour we're moving on to the next and in my view most important part of the Bible's meaning which is, it's there so that we can apply it. There's some great stories in the Bible, so good some have been made into films, there's some great poetry, if you're into that sort of thing. But we miss the point of the Bible if that's all we read. Every time we read God's word, we are, inv- we are invited to be part of God's big story, not just readers of it. And the travelers on the road to Emmaus only got that towards the end of their encounter with the stranger. And in a very short book, Can I Really Trust the Bible by Barry Cooper? I like short books, as you can tell. He says this, God's words aren't meant simply to be seen or heard. They are meant to be tasted. It's a bit weird, isn't it? It maybe gets some of us to think of some Bible passages, and it begins to help me a sense of passages in the Bible where God's word is likened to food going into our bodies, such as Matthew 4, verse 4, where we hear from Jesus, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's the point of the Bible. We might struggle with that picture of eating God's word. There's others in the Old Testament about prophets being commanded by God to eat the scroll that God's word's written on. All a bit weird, isn't it? But it's, it's more than just words on a page. It's for us to take in and make a difference to how we live our lives. Cooper says this, it hasn't been given to us so that we can know about God It has been given to us so that we can know God. Dave Lomas, another, another writer, speaker from Reality Church, San Francisco, says this on the point of the Bible. It's there so we can listen to God, so we can love him more deeply and love others more completely. So you might be asking, in amongst all of what you've said, Ken, how on earth, what on earth am I supposed to do? How can I make more sense and get more out of the meaning of the Bible? And here are just a few tips. One, get a Bible. Advert to the Gideons, there's a few on the window ledge just outside. If you want to take one, I'd be more than, more than happy. But I guess lots of people here have already got got one. So the second point is, read it but read it in the context of God's big story with our eyes open to the beauty of God's word, that it is literal, but it's literary. So we need to read it in the context of the big story and we need to read it understanding or knowing loads of different people have written it. And don't be surprised if we were all given the task of writing something, the style of all of those writings would be very different. So if you start in the Gospels which is a great place to start but do it understanding there's a whole Old Testament precedes it because you very quickly get into references to the Old Testament and you might be left wondering what's all this about? Yobble Year of Biblical Literacy Dive into the Year of Biblical Literacy and the materials that are online on the church website uh, I've done it this year, and I have to say, you know, uh, the past four or five years, I've read the Bible chronologically in a year, and sometimes it's been really hard work. And some years I've got a little bit behind. But this, when I said at the outset that I was really excited, you know, I've, I've really been enthused by it. There's some great videos on there from a group called the Bible Project who've really given me a new insight into some of the books. So if if you've not come across Yobel yet, have a look into it. You don't have to catch up, in my humble opinion. You could go home today, dive in today, but just remember, uh, we're in Numbers. I think we're just moving out of Numbers into Deuteronomy is where we are. So there's some books that have gone before, but if you try and catch up, you'll always feel guilty that I didn't do it earlier so try yobble and then the last point is join a group or a huddle here in church because that's where you're going to have the opportunity to you know what I was reading the bible or I read this passage or I've come across this and I really don't understand or I'm struggling with how to apply this bit that's the real opportunity for us to refine our thinking, our understanding of God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that, uh, as important, you've given us your Holy Spirit to help us understand and work through what your word means for each one of us today. And pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would prompt all of us, more of us, to be more hungry for your word today.